Every new year, there's pressure to work out, and it stops people from even starting. But starting is what matters most. So Peloton's made starting easy with up to $600 off Peloton bike purchases and two months free membership. Start moving with the Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, Tread, Row, or Guide, and thousands of classes with instructors ready to support you from day one. Shop Peloton's New Year offers at onepeloton.com slash deals. All access membership separate. Terms apply. This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. This week's episode is brought to you by The Story is a State of Mind School. Early registration is now open for The Story Intensive, an amazing course happening this fall, all about craft and brilliant writing, offered by the one and only Sarah Selecki, who you all know as a repeat guest on the show. Find out how you can sign up for the course and request me as your TA at carolinedonahue.com story. There will also be some group coaching calls for those who sign up through me and other fun stuff going on over there. So again, the link to check that out is carolinedonahue.com story. Okay, now on with the show. This is episode 53. My guest this week is Jade Chang and her debut novel, The Wangs Versus the World, is a New York Times editor's choice and was named one of the best books of 2016 by BuzzFeed, NPR, L, Amazon, and others. She's the recipient of a Sundance Arts Journalist Fellowship and is a nominee for the Penn Robert W. Bingham Prize for debut fiction. The Wangs will be published in 12 countries. And NPR said this, her book is unrelentingly fun, but it is also raw and profane, a story of fierce pride, fierce anger, and even fiercer love. I just adored this book, and I was lucky enough to meet Jade at a book signing recently in Los Angeles, and I made a beeline for her and knew I wanted to talk to her on the show because I love this book so much. And it was such a joy speaking with her, so I know you're going to enjoy hearing her thoughts on character, writing the book, what happens when your debut novel blows up, and all kinds of fun stuff. So here we go with the amazing Jade Chang. Hey, Jade, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So I love this sort of um, interesting crossover that has happened on the show because I think it's, I mean, the show's been going on for close to a year now. And we had Mary Laura Philpot on fairly early on. And she gave yeah. me a list. I was like frantically scribbling notes, even though I knew we were recording, of all the books she thought that were amazing to read. Aww. And one that she was like holding up and like waving with great fervor was your book, The Wang Sources the World. So I was like, okay, so I'm going to nice. read it. Uh-huh. And I did. And then I was like, we've got to get her on the show. So here you are. Oh, well, I am very happy to be here. And also, I, honestly, I'm always so flattered when like another writer has recommended my book. I, I can see why. I mean, it's a really, well, I want to talk about the book specifically, mm-hmm. but I also want to talk about the fact that We've had a bunch of people on who are having book releases, but I'm really excited to have you on because you're at an interesting point in the process where you're about to have the book come out in paperback. So you're not like, this is the first time I'm seeing it on shelves and, Mm -hmm. you know, that part. It's like you've had about a year to see it out in the world. And I'm really interested in how that process has been. Yeah, well, I'm happy to, to get into it, whichever, in whichever direction you'd like. Well, one thing 
is that it has been such an incredibly well-received book, which I think is very much deserved. Thanks. But I'm wondering, how was it for you to have it kind of blow up? <laughs> um, you know, I definitely, yeah, I feel like the, definitely the critical response to the book was amazing. Like, I feel like I could not ask for better and more understanding reviews. Like I was just really, I was really kind of bowled over by, um, by not just the fact that the book was reviewed well, which was so nice, of course, but also that it was reviewed with so much kind of understanding and insight. And that was just a real treat. I mean, some of the reviews were like, not only was I happy, of course, that they were positive, but also it was just so so cool really to get to hear someone talk about something that you'd been doing in a way that made you see it in a different light and also in a way where the review itself was like it, it just an interesting thing to read you know and, and kind of ex and uh, the, the review itself had kind of like exciting sentences I think this is important for people to hear that this is a possible outcome of getting your book reviewed because <laughs> I think that there's so much folklore or whatever around how like reviewing is terrifying and they're going to rip you apart and you're just going to end up hiding under the bed. But to hear that people could actually not only like it, but get it. Mm -hmm. I think that's an amazing thing to hear. Yeah. And I, you know, I do not think that, I, I mean, yes, obviously there are terrible reviews, but I think for the most part, first of all, the people who are writing reviews, many of them are freelance reviewers, a lot of them are authors, no one wants to tear a book apart. You know, I think people mostly want to find something kind of interesting and new in a book. But yeah, I, I mean, I definitely do feel very lucky about that, that aspect of it all, for sure. And you've written reviews yourself. So I, not a lot. Yeah, I actually was Never. So I was a journalist for a long time before, before I wrote this, and I. But I was very rarely a critic. It just isn't. It's not a thing that generally. Um, it wasn't a thing that I really wanted to do. And just to be really honest, unless you're a staff reporter, reviews just don't pay very much. <laughs> and <laughs> I had to, to know. make a living. So. I just wondered how it felt for someone who's been a journalist and who's been reporting to like put your work in the hands of other journalists and see what they did with it. There's something sort of vulnerable about that. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that it kind of worked both ways. Like I think that it was in a way I knew not to take anything too personally, you know, especially so I also I worked at Goodreads before before this book came out, I was working there actually when I sold the book. And so obviously I've seen the many forms that, that, uh, that reader reviews can take. And, you know, and, and I have also seen that like some of our most beloved books have very negative reviews that are actually quite thoughtful and that make a good argument for why someone might hate that book. So just really, I think that combined with having worked as a journalist for so long, it just really made me feel like once you write a book and put it out into the world, in some ways, it is no longer yours. You know, the response is 
a public response. The response is also each reader's personal response. And I think that I was perhaps better prepared for that than someone who has never been on the other side of of the coin. I'm sure. I think it was the Goodreads thing that made me think that you'd written reviews. But maybe you can answer this question having been inside of that culture. And I know um, a couple other people who've worked there, but there's this interesting phenomenon that author, uh, an author friend of mine brought up. Why is there such a discrepancy between the way people will review books on Goodreads and on Amazon? Have you noticed this? Oh, Mm -hmm. because she noticed that people would give her like five star reviews for her book on Amazon, but then they were consistently much lower on Goodreads and that there were much longer, more involved reviews on Goodreads as well. You mean in ge- not like the same person, right? No, but in general, the trend was different. I don't know if that was a thing that we identify, but I think it also, it really depends on what kind of, but like I think there are genres, especially in the earlier days, I think there were genres that were just, you know, that were more popular amongst like the Goodreads membership versus the Amazon membership or something like that. I don't, I'll be honest, I didn't, I haven't really noticed that. That's interesting. I thought it was because I think people will review on Amazon, like whether or not it's a decent book, you know, but I think Goodreads, it's almost like a Netflix algorithm. Like, is this now going to suggest other books that I would like? So it could be a good book, but I just don't like this type of book. So I'm going to rate it lower. And Uh, then I don't want to see, you know, I don't want anyone suggesting others to me. So I wondered if that was part of it, because there's no agenda like that, necessarily. I think I don't know about that. But I do think that the whole sort of funny review with 10 million different images and and that sort of thing, like that is very much a Goodreads phenomenon. Definitely. (laughs) And perhaps there is something about that sort of review that inspires both people who love something and people who hate something to do it. Like if you just feel mediocre about a book, you're probably not going to going to write this like long, funny review of it. So it's much like Yelp reviews. Like nobody's like, this place was fine. Right. Nobody's going to bother. So I wonder how having had all of this exposure to what can happen in terms of how people can respond to your book. Mm -hmm. If we can go back in time a little bit, did this impact your writing process at all? Like, did you have a bazillion other potential critics chattering in your head as you were writing the book? No, definitely not. I, in fact, it was very much, I think that I, when I started writing this book, I said to myself, I'm writing this for nobody. Like every, you know, that whole that whole, in order to be an artist, you have to kill your parents. Like you just have to. <laughs> I haven't heard that one, it's, but I think I understand. It's one of those truisms, right? Like in order to feel kind of really free about the things that you're making, you just have to decide that there, there is no right or wrong. There is no, you know, there's no sort of judgmental eye whatsoever. And with this book, I, I very much was like, I'm not thinking of this in terms of how it's going to be received. I'm not thinking about this in terms of who may or may not approve of it. I just decided to like divorce myself from all of those thoughts entirely. And did you have fun writing it? Because it seemed like a book that would be fun to write. 
it was both fun and miserable. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think the the actual writing was always fun. The making myself write was always miserable. Yeah, I could see that totally. Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing too is that all of the characters. So for anybody like the three people out there who don't know about the Wings versus the World, the the bit can you give us like a two second i'm sure you're well practiced at this like a a summary of what the book is about yeah weirdly this is always like still difficult (laughs) (laughs) but i i think it's really interesting i think like i've talked to other writers about this and i think for everybody for some reason i know exactly what i'm gonna say i still feel like what if it doesn't come out right but the wings versus the world is basically a book about a family that's lost its fortune and what happens in the aftermath of that. And uh, the story follows Charles Wang, who immigrated to America from Taiwan and built a cosmetics fortune in America. And it's the late summer of 2008. He has just lost it all. And he also loses the family mansion in Bel Air. And so he and his second wife, Barbara, who named herself after Barbara Streisand, they decide to pick up the, there's three children, they decide to pick up uh, the youngest daughter, Grace, who is a high school senior, she's in boarding school, she's a style blogger, and the middle son, Andrew, who is in college, and he's an aspiring stand-up comic. And they pick them up and they go on a cross-country road trip headed towards the oldest daughter's house. And that is Sina, who is living in upstate New York because she recently managed to tank her very successful career as a conceptual artist. And the kind of underlying drive of all this is that now that Charles has lost his fortune in America, all he wants is to... uh, to go back to China and reclaim the land that the communists stole from his family a generation ago. And hijinks ensue. Many hijinks. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of unputdownable, the level of hijinks that you're yeah. dealing with. I mean, it's just, I was very interested in, in how you came up with the characters or where the characters <laughs> came from like did they just start talking to you in your head like where did it because they're so well formed and Charles in particular like from the beginning I remember starting Mm -hmm. to read the book I was like I did not expect it to be this funny and I didn't (laughs) expect him to be so like sarcastic and sort of snippy but in such a funny way I don't know I he felt complete I mean they all felt completely formed but he's there like right from the first moment thanks yeah well so the first chapter so basically the book um It's in five different POVs. It's like close third, five different points of view, um, each of those characters that I mentioned. And the first chapter opens with Charles's voice. And I, that first chapter, I actually wrote those pages really early, early on. They were like the first, you know, it was like the first thing that I did, basically. I, I knew that I wanted to write you know, I knew I wanted to write a, a different kind of immigrant novel. I knew I wanted to write a really big, fun, over-the-top story. And I knew that I wanted to write this character, like this this man who just 
everything is an extreme in his life. He loves big. He hates big. He's going to make his life as glorious and and kind of over the top as possible. But it so he's ridiculous, but he also like loves his children more than anything. And, and yet he also sort of thinks he can become the, you know, he thinks he can like make himself into kind of anything he wants to. And I would say that it's the kind of character that I have seen in real life a lot in sort of several different immigrant communities and that I don't feel that I've really ever seen in kind of mainstream literature or film, you know, in, in this guise. And, and so, yeah, it was just really fun to write. That part was, was sheer fun. Like those first, that first chapter definitely was something that like that voice, that drive, that anger, that love, that passion, like it all just kind of came together and, came out pretty easily. So did you start with the idea that you wanted to have this kind of character or did you just sit mm-hmm. down and say, I'm going to see what happens? I'm just, I'm interested in how you got from journalist to fiction, which seems to be a theme mm-hmm. among guests on the show. It's like, you know how really? to write to a deadline, you can get yeah. it done, you know how to make this happen. It's like, hmm, why don't I try fiction? But it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting one to cross rather than going to say a nonfiction book. Yeah, well... I do I do think journalism is such good training ground for fiction. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things that I think has been the most helpful for me is when you interview someone and you, especially as a journalist who's starting out, you have to do those transcriptions yourself. And so you're really typing like how people speak. And that is, I just, I think that's kind of invaluable. Definitely. Yeah, but... You know, I, for me, I think it's interesting. I like I think some writers start with plot. I think other writers start with character. I think I start with idea and emotion. Like hmm. I really wanted to write a book with that feeling, with that kind of a lot of anger, a lot of joy, like. Uh, like a real sense of mischief and fun, but a real um, interest in kind of exploring big ideas also. And there were, you know, and there were like a few things that I was interested in. Like I was interested in 2008, the, the financial crash. I was interested in kind of how America sees itself. I was interested in writing about immigrants who see themselves as being completely central to the story of America. Like all of those things were kind of themes that I was interested in exploring. And then, and then a million other things too, like is fate real? Uh, I just like all kinds of things like that. And so when I start, I actually just make, I just take notes when things, when random things interest me, I just, I just sort of start a document and start taking a ton of notes. And then for me, character kind of emerges from those notes. Mm. And then at a certain point, I'll just kind of start writing. 
Nice. And then I outline a lot and do other stuff. All right. Say more about the outlining. I am curious. This is something I, I've worked in sort of dabbled in fiction for years and years, and I'm only now getting mm-hmm. to outlining and going, why didn't anyone tell me this was actually pretty <laughs> helpful? But, yes. I mean, I do think it's very interesting that that's one of those. So I never got an MFA and I did not really take a ton of classes, but I did in college, I did take, you know, creative writing workshops and I feel like their goals were always quite lofty. It was definitely about sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the proud tradition of the short story as opposed to how do we make a story work? Like, what do you do? And I think that, and that I, I, that is probably unfair. I'm sure there are like many classes that are about that, but the ones that I took, which were, great classes plot was not a a big topic of conversation ever but growing up in LA and living in LA um you know you've so many friends who are screenwriters or aspiring screenwriters and I think the outline kind of is god in that world and definitely yeah yeah and I read a couple of the the kind of screenwriting books the ever popular Save the Cat. Oh yeah, Save the like Cat. That. And then yeah. uh, McPhee story. It's just story yeah. in the giant three-inch high letters on the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I don't think you need to sort of be as incredibly rigid as those outlines often suggest, but I do think that reading them is not a bad idea you know I think that thinking about how to move a story engine forward is is really helpful and for me outlining was great to do I um I I think that some people get worried that when you outline you kind of take all the surprise out of something that you are just figuring out like every single nut nut and bolt so how could it be fun to actually do the writing but And especially this book, it wasn't that difficult because it is a road trip. So they're going to particular cities. Because I have each chapter narrated by a different character, essentially each city was kind of viewed by a different character. So I had to think about what it was in their kind of emotional arc and story arc that I wanted to get into in that particular city. So there were, I think there were a lot of, uh, a lot of, lines to kind of braid together but but the surprise was always still there because I I would know that they got to a particular place and a particular thing happened but I wouldn't it was in writing that I kind of figured out the the details of the journey and there are some things that happened I mean I wonder because there are things that are sort of central to the narrative of them you know, obviously they have to pick them up in various locations based on where they are. Like the son is in school in Arizona. So obviously he's not going to appear before they get there, you know, all of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But also it's like, there are these little surprising moments of, you know, where the son just kind of has a little side trip at one point. I won't (laughs) say more about it, but that was one of my favorite bits. He was just like, I'm doing this. And I loved the way and I cannot imagine doing this without an outline, although maybe it could be done, how the characters ended up being in smaller, different combinations, depending yeah. on 
what happened. Like you right. have a point where the stepmother ends up with the with the son and you know and mm-hmm. he's doing some stand up and just other things where people come together in ways you hadn't expected. Meanwhile, you've got the whole daughter's story playing out across the country as they're getting closer and closer and there's right. this sense of like an you know like a comet headed happen. towards them, you know. Yeah. Which was all really, I think there there was a great sense of momentum in that. And I can't imagine putting that together without some sense of like at least almost even a physical map. Oh, yeah, I did that too. Like I made, you know, in Google Maps, you could make essentially a road trip map. So oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I made one of those to kind of figure out like how long it would actually take and all of that kind of stuff. Because I, I care a lot about things being possible in a book like I hate when you read something and you're like but you can't sail from New York to Paris in seven hours like, <laughs> or maybe you can sail that far I'm not sure I, I'm not a sailor but I don't think you can I agree yeah. with you I, I feel that the winds would be against you but but yeah so I I did kind of research those things a lot to make sure that it all was possible. But also in terms of what you were saying about um, them being in different combinations, that was also something that I thought about a lot because I think that's what's interesting about family. Like, like you have what the family is like when you're all together and then, and then you take one person away and it's a different family. Like it's a different dynamic or you put, there's always like in a family, there's always like, the two people who never really hang out, you know? Mm-hmm. And then like when they're together, it's like almost like going on a date or something, you know, like it feels just kind of uncertain and exciting a little bit. So I wanted to explore all of those things without necessarily being very overt about it. There's ways that each of them fit in, but there's also ways mm-hmm. each of them are sort of outsiders, even in their own family. And I think that's true mm-hmm. in real families. Yeah. That was something that made them all feel more real, was that it wasn't really easy for anybody. Yeah, it's like it's not easy, and yet it's also the easiest thing in the world. Like, right? Like there's, I don't know, I feel like in families there are always sort of moments that can feel a little bit awkward or something but in the end you can also like sit there next to these people wearing weird sweatpants and like I don't know eating the peel of an orange and not and it's just not strange and you know like it's just all very normal yeah there's a certain amount of permission because it's family yeah yeah, and yeah, exactly. They certainly all, you know, respond to that. Like I think of Grace putting her pictures up all over the car, you know, and just yeah. sort of pasting things around. Like this is how I'm dealing with this right now. Right. So how, what was the um, the writing process? Like from when you started to sort of take some notes to actually getting an outline and then a draft down, how, how long was that process? Oh my God, so long. I know, it's been a while. I know, everyone's like, what? What are you talking about? I know, it's even further back for you than it is for someone whose book has just come out. So I started thinking about the book, I think, in 2009. No, that's not true. I start. I really started thinking about it in, like, in the late summer of 2008, just when, when that book takes place. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I started thinking about it then, and then I really started to 
take notes and, and think about it in a more focused way kind of throughout that year. I would say I really started writing in kind of late 2009. And then I sold the book in 2015. And I I finished it like the year, but I finished it like late 2014. Got it. I think those things are true. (laughs) I think that's right. I'm not. I buy it. I totally buy it. But basically, it took about five years to write. And it felt like 50 million. (laughs) I think I can totally see that because it is, there's this process whereby you can only know as much as you know at a certain point. It's like you don't get to figure the whole thing out in two weeks. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think in some ways, um, it's not a bad thing, you know, because over five years, you change as a person, like things that were important to you before are less so now that you get older and closer to death. And so things take on different, different meanings. And I think that actually was kind of helpful in the writing of this book, because I think that my intentions kind of changed also. Like, I think that when I, when I started writing the book, I wanted to write a big story, you know, and, and there were, ideas that I was really interested in but then and but then I also really like wanted to write something just satirical in a lot of ways and as I went on I think that I just started kind of caring a lot more in it's not exactly the right way to put it but but basically I started um I just started to feel like okay when you're when you're asking someone to read a book, you're really asking them for a lot, right? You're like asking them for a lot of time, a lot of emotional energy. You want them to have some kind of real response to it. And I thought a lot about that and about how I didn't want anyone to feel emotionally diminished in any way after like sad I want everyone to be totally sad but but I don't want anyone <laughs> but I don't want anyone to read it feeling like ugh I'm like a worse person for having read this uh, like this okay. is taking away something of my essential life force you know? oh lord yeah no you definitely don't feel that way after reading this book thanks yeah but there are you know but I do think there are books and movies where afterwards you feel like oh I think I was a more whole person before I took in this piece of entertainment, you know? Dance, Dancer in the Dark, for sure. I can say that immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, God. I kept stopping, and I was like, it can't get any worse. And then, of course, it always did. And and so, and so, and I think that sometimes, like, just straight satire can do that to you as well. And even though I'm just too, like, soft-hearted for that ever to have been my my own, my only MO, but but I did sort of think a lot more about I don't know what is like what is the deeper thing that you want to say that's like the least eloquent way to say it but (laughs) (laughs) but there were a couple of scenes especially uh the one where grace has like a little bit of a an epiphany of sorts that definitely grew from that and and so because of that I, I I think that if I had finished the book in two years that scene wouldn't have existed 
That's an interesting point. Yeah, I can see where you just get to know them better. It's like the longer amount of time you spend with these characters, the it's like people, you know, you know them better and you know more about who they are. Uh, well, and also the things that matter to me change. And so therefore the things that matter to the characters kind of change as well. The other one was, um, I think the very last revision that I did on the book is now one of my favorite parts, which, and I actually read this section a lot at readings. It's, it's Andrew's uh, second stand-up mm. act where he kind of has this mini breakdown slash breakthrough on stage. And yeah, again, that I think is something that I probably wouldn't have been able to write if, if again, if this book was finished in like 2011. I wonder about, particularly at this point in time where we are now, Yeah, because I feel like before this last election, I would say the 20... 20- 2008 2009 period of time was kind of the most was one of those moments where it was like whoa this is really turning us all upside down and we don't know what to think and probably 2001 2008 and then this election feels sort of similarly loaded Mm -hmm. and I wonder about flipped around and who knows what's gonna happen I know and it to the point where I've talked to people who've been writing books sort of set in the present and they had to explicitly set them in like 2014 because if they oh. set them any later, this would have to be a central narrative. And right. so I wonder about writing your book in, in sort of the 2008 when obviously him losing his business and his fortune mm-hmm. is so central to that historical period. But if getting away from it a little bit and seeing how it played out maybe gave you some perspective on the story or did that make no difference? Oh, that's interesting. Probably. I think it probably did. I, you know, I think the difference with that versus right now <laughs> is that um, we had a little more precedent for kind of the analysis of that. You know, we, we had like a, another pretty sharp recession, like not that long before 2008. So I think that there was so much kind of immediate analysis of the time and I think I really benefited from from reading a lot of that whereas now I don't know like I don't know what we're gonna think about 2017 I no idea. in three I know. years <laughs> like who knows I'm really or interested we'll be around to think anything oh god mm-hmm. well I certainly hope so I mean I'm very interested to read the books that are kind of getting conceived right now as we're yeah like, oh, well, I'm curious if you're thinking about anything right now, given that you had a previous historical context pop something up, or if you're like, I'm going to take a break right now because I already wrote this book. <laughs> no, I, I, as a human being who cares about what happens to like my fellow human beings, I'm 0% happy about our current moment in time. But as a writer who um, enjoys looking at times that are unusual and scary and uncertain. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I definitely do not want to move away from writing about right now. Like, I'm very excited to write about right now, actually. Yeah, I have a, I have a similar feeling about it. It's like, oh, there's so much to look at and there's so much that you can kind of understand about humanity by watching what's happening right now 
-hmm. And at the same time, I would rather maybe watch a movie about it than live it, (laughs) but, and have those insights. I mean, I do feel like we kind of, maybe France looked over here and was like, whoa, okay. Um, Let's, let's not do that. So, but a different direction. Uh Yeah, exactly. But I do, I am so interested in, I think that's maybe what's keeping me going in, in a cultural sense is I'm like, maybe there's going to yeah. be a lot of really good books mm-hmm. when people sort of digest this a little bit. I hope that's I think the there case. Will be. I think there will be because I think that that's what, you know, I think that's what any story, like any story is, like you're not writing about the characters kind of like slowly building a house and making dinner, you know, <laughs> some books, but, but, you know, any book that I love is about a moment of crisis. And, you know, sometimes it's handled in a totally humorous way. Sometimes it's completely tragic, but, but I do think that it's in those, you know, it's, it's, it's those moments where the world kind of feels like it's just going to turn upside down and no one has any idea how it'll all shake out. Like that's, that's exciting. It's true. I mean, it was actually something you said um, when I saw you at, recently at Skylight was, you know, uh-huh. our, it was it was a really good quote. And I said, oh, I'm going to have to make her say it so we can <laughs> reference it. But it was it was something like <laughs> our most horrible selves are really delicious. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, I think. We're, well, we were talking about Jory's book, the startup yeah. or startup, yeah. and um, I think maybe someone asked about was it an unlikable characters question? Was it that might have it been because to? it probably or people just behaving badly. I think, mm-hmm. but I do think that's true. I mean, in the same way that our worst selves are incredibly delicious, I think that our um, our worst moments are also things to chew on and savor and and find meaning in and and it, I think it's because it's because we know that those things exist concurrently, right? We know that we're always our worst selves and our best selves. We know that when moments are terrible in one place, they're amazing in another. And when they're amazing here, they're terrible elsewhere. Like we know that nothing, there is no sort of like perfect Zen moment for the world that we live in. So I think that there is some kind of, some kind of, satisfaction in in like getting at those those worst those worst moments and worst selves it makes the whole thing feel more believable I think also (laughs) it's like oh good they feel that way too or (laughs) they have those fears or they have those impulses or and that there's there's something about moments like when Andrew feels incredibly embarrassed, I guess, you know, and mm-hmm. he's trying to do something, he's trying to do stand up, which is possibly the most terrifying thing I think many people <laughs> would ever consider doing. And just, yeah. there's just this like almost pulpy, palpable vulnerability in mm-hmm. that process. And I think that there's mm-hmm. something wonderful about that also, because mm-hmm. it's a scary thing about being a writer. You have to care- create these characters that matter to you and hope that matter yeah. to other people. And then you basically have to like throw a bunch of shit at them and see what happens. Yeah, yeah it's true. But also like think about, um, well, okay. I was going to say think about your friends and like conversations with them, but I don't actually want 
any bad things to happen to my friends, but I do want interesting <laughs> things to happen to my friends. You know, I do want like, I want all of our lives to be full of reasonable ups and downs. <laughs> and, um, and, but, but the vulnerability I think is a really interesting thing because I do think that that's what makes us love people. You know, like when you're, when you like, let's say when you have a new friend or you're dating someone new and they have a moment of vulnerability, like they tell you something that they're nervous about or, or, or whatever, or even they like show up with their shirt, like misbuttoned or something. There is, I I think that it does make you kind of adore that person in a way. And, and I don't think that it's, I don't think it's a like, oh, they're fallible so that makes me feel better like it's definitely not at least for me like that's not what I'm interested in it's more a sort of like I don't know I think I think in part it's a sort of uh like we can take care of each other you know and then uh, I do think it is also it's it's about openness you know it's about feeling like oh this person sort of isn't trying to be this like picture of perfection in front of me and that's not what I want anyway I want like someone who's open and messy and human and real and vulnerable yeah I think when you see those things and you feel it makes at least for me I think when I see Mm -hmm. that in people it makes me trust that everything else I've seen is real yeah exactly if they're letting this this misbuttoned shirt through Mm -hmm. then all the other stuff that seems so amazing that must be the real thing also exactly exactly and that's that's like it makes someone so so endearing and and I think that that is something just speaking from a completely um I can't think of the right word I want to say capitalistic, but that's obviously not the right <laughs> word. But but um, speaking from a like let's let's make everything useful <laughs> sense, um, I think that's extremely useful when it comes to building characters because that's for me like that's always the the moment when when you kind of hook into a character. I think you want to see them doing something. I think you want to see them both being amazing and being vulnerable. Because I think that the whole, to go back to the save the cat thing, mm-hmm. it's like you have to make people like them because they do something sort of heroic or helpful or really nice. But mm-hmm. but doing something that's scary for them or that makes them seem yeah. a little bit off or, or flawed, mm-hmm. I think is every bit as effective, if not more so. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think you have those moments for all of the characters in the book, as I think about it, you know, you see them at points when they're really strong and really doing well in, in some mm-hmm. of them, it may be memories. It isn't always necessarily in scene and happening right then, yeah. but you also see them at points when they're scared and, and, you know, and it makes you kind of like them, even if they could be in many ways, you know, quote unquote, unlikable characters in certain contexts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I really was also very interested in this idea of like, we've had, you know, in 2008, this this sense of like, we've had years of national success, you know, we've had years of like collective success. And now we're just diving off a cliff into 
years of failure and kind of what does that failure look like on an individual level, especially in individuals who haven't really had to, to deal with it or who don't think that they've had to deal with it. And yeah, that like that is delicious to me, you know, that that kind of like, oh, cringy, but but like, but like, oh, my God, I can't stop looking kind of moment. <laughs> too. Yeah, it's like watching karaoke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, it's so bad, but it's so good. I gotta, I gotta keep but they watching. Just keep, they just keep on singing. They just keep yeah. putting themselves out there. Yeah, yeah. So are you working on another book now? Are you are you thinking about something else? Oh, good. Mm-hmm. How is it going? Oh, you know, just as slowly as before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think now you have all of this insight as to what the pacing was. I mean, I remember somebody interviewing Donna Tart and saying, mm-hmm. you know, you think you could do it like more often than every 10 years or so? We'd really love that. And And her response was something like, well, I tried that and I didn't like it. Oh, really? I'd, I'd enjoy writing a book more quickly, but, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's still still a little too early to, to even know how it will all unfold, but, but I'm hopeful. I, I think you have a right to be, and I think um, we'll all be excited to read it when it's done. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been really wonderful talking to you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's been very fun. But wait, I have a question. Oh, yeah. Why is this podcast secret? <laughs> um, I think the reason I wanted to call it the secret library was because mm-hmm. there is this whole belief structure, I think, among oh. people about how books are created that people kind mm-hmm. of sneak off into some Walden-esque cabin and have epiphanies and kind of torn, you know, elbowed sweaters and scribble mm-hmm. furiously with candles. And then they, they have a stack of pages and then they like put it in a tube. And then at the other <laughs> end of the tube, a book comes out. And I wanted to sort of reveal the secrets of what actually happens. Oh, I like so that. So that you end up with books in your library. That was sort of the reason for the name. I like, or the other way that books get made is the uh, romantic comedy montage of, you know, <laughs> you type furiously, you crumple up papers, you throw them against the wall, and then you eat a lot of food out of Chinese takeout containers. Yes. And, and then done. Chocolate, and then you your hair gets a little bit artfully messy. That's oh, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. Like a lopsided bun, and you kind yes. of look like uh, Meg Ryan in When Harry Met Sally when she finds out her ex is marrying somebody else you know you're wearing a sweatshirt that like falls off one shoulder exactly in like you know a messy but casually sexy way and then you probably you might like do a little dance when you uh when you finish yeah and then it goes like devil wears prada and you're suddenly in this really sleek outfit with your your printed manuscript and you're like walking off into the large publishing house yes exactly exactly well, that's I, how it I, happened, right? That's not what happened. I mean, that's what happened for me. I don't know about everyone else, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's what I, that's what I'm here to find out. We're going to find out how it happened for everybody.
it was all crumpled papers and Chinese takeout containers for me. <laughs> that's that's what we all need. We need more crumpled paper and more Chinese takeout containers. <laughs> totally. That's what we've all been doing wrong this whole time. Uh, I love it. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.